0: Welcome to Radio Curious, I'm Barry Vogel. In this edition of Radio Curious, we would like to take you to Bhutan, a very small country east of Mount Everest, bordered by India and Tibet. Bhutan is a magical kingdom, considered by many as the last Shangri-La. We will be visiting the Dragon's Gift, the Sacred Arts of Bhutan. In this program we have a series of interviews and a series of conversations. We begin first with Therese Bartholomew, the curator of The Dragon's Gift, the Sacred Arts of Bhutan, who helps us to understand what inspired the exhibit and the trials and tribulations of transporting this valuable religious art object collection from the monasteries at the top of the Bhutanese Mountains to the city of San Francisco, halfway around the world. Through this program, we will also visit the exhibit itself, hear some of the ceremonies, meet the monks who have traveled with the exhibit, and take a tour with the museum docent, Heni Tanumjaja. I spoke with Therese Bartholomew from her home in San Francisco, California, on March 27, 2009, and began by asking her what makes Bhutan and Bhutanese art so special. Tell us about Bhutan, where it's located, and, and why it's important in its aspects of Asian art.
1: Bhutan is about the size of Switzerland, caught between Tibet and India. It has Tibet and China on the north and east, and India on the west and south and southeast. And it is a country in the Himalayas that has never been colonized. And it is the only Buddhist country left up in the Himalayas.
0: So their artwork, by not having been colonized, has its own traditional growth over time. Yes. How long is that time period estimated to be?
1: By the 7th century, two Buddhist temples were already built in Bhutan. And by the 8th century, it became firmly established. So it has a long tradition coming down from the 8th century.
0: So tell us about Bhutanese art.
1: Bhutanese art is like Tibetan art. I mean, it's made for the Tibetan type of Buddhism. But because Bhutan is so far away, so further down south, it developed its own style.
0: Can you tell us about the role of the Bhutanese art in Buddhism?
1: To them, it's not art. To them, these are images to be worshipped to remind them of the religion. In fact, that's why we have monks traveling for the show because these are the sacred objects and they have to be worshipped every day.
0: How many monks um, are in San Francisco to be part of the show?
1: We only have two.
0: And what is it that they do?
1: The two monks pray once in the morning and once in the afternoon. And they say prayers that they brought along with them, and and then they go into the gallery, and by using a mirror in the basin, they pour water on the mirror. The mirror is reflecting the image of the sculptures and paintings. They can't really pour water on the actual objects, so what they do is to reflect the image onto the mirror and then pour water there. It's a purification rite. At the same time, they pray for all sentient beings, for the good of the museum, for the Americans, and for Bhutan, for everybody.
0: Now let's move to the Asian Art Museum exhibit, The Sacred Arts of Bhutan, through our recording of the Puja Ceremony, an introduction to the exhibit by Docent Henny Tanujaja, and meet the monk Lopen Neten.
2: Bhutan, a very small kingdom in the Himalayas, its population is not even 700,000. One of the aspects that make them very unique is their policy of gross national happiness. Defining the quality of life through mental and spiritual well-being over material prosperity. Buddhism started in India about 2600 years ago and um, after the death of the Buddha there are different branches of Buddhism. There are Theravada also known as Hinayana and Mahayana then Vajrayana Buddhism. Theravada is um, still practice in Southeast Asia. Mahayana went to China, Korea, Japan and Vajrayana to Tibet um, the, in the Himalayas. Vajrayana Buddhism is the tantric or esoteric form of Buddhism. It teaches many different techniques of meditation to reach enlightenment. The monks who are here do a ritual twice a day and they they use a mirror with the water basin uh, to reflect the the image so that it's like cleaning the image purifying the image sending energy to the image like that that's why they are just not our objects
0: Lopen Netin was born in eastern Bhutan in 1966. He studied English and then, at the age of twenty-one, joined the central monastic body of Bhutan. In Bhutan, the main religion is Drupa Kagyu of the Kagyu school of Ajrayana Buddhism. He studied Buddhist philosophy in Tango Buddhist University. He meditated under the guidance of the sixty-eight head abbot of Bhutan for nine years. He then became a lecturer at the Buddhist University for a period of three years. He continued meditation inside a cave for an additional three years. And at present, he is working as the personal secretary to the venerable Dorji Lopen, the deputy G. Kenpo of Bhutan. My
3: name is Nathan Dorji. i This is uh, Mandala of... Uh, Gongdi in our language, but uh, if you translate it into English, it's uh, called When we have a certain ceremonies in our monastery, for example, so we have two ceremonies uh, uh, once a uh, year, so that time we make the send Mandala, and after making this, we put in the altar, so so, 400 monks headed by our Dharma king. Dharma king, we have called Jehembo in our language. is the head of our uh, Bhutan. So, he uh, led by him, then we'll do 14 or 15 days ceremonies. And after finishing these ceremonies, uh, we were lined up headed by the head monks. So, we'll go to the river and uh, with many prayers, he'll uh, bless his hand uh, and thrown into the river. So, we people are lucky uh, to get the blessings from the Buddha and many high priests and the animals who live in the oceans there are many animals, big and small, more than the peoples in the world. So, they never received the blessings from Buddha, either from the priests they never hear the word of Dharma so we are, what we are thinking is uh, the sand uh, which was put in the river will rush to the oceans and the, the sand uh, the, the animal who touches this sand will blaze uh, in this life even though it uh, can't uh, help in this present life in the next life so after changing their lives next life they will reborn as a better lives we are thinking like this we can't go inside the oceans is to every animal. So it's a good method to bless the sand and then wish
0: Lopen Netin speaks English and is eager to try to answer your questions. He can also translate questions for Lopen Geum, all of which could be done if you were to visit the Dragon's Gift. The Sacred Arts of Bhutan at the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco, California, which will be on display until May tenth, two
3: 2009.
0: Now let us return to our conversation with Therese Bartholomew, the curator of The Dragon's Gift, The Sacred Arts of Bhutan. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. What is the experience of these monks with regard to the particular art objects? Are they personally connected to these art objects?
1: They don't know most of these pieces because they've never seen them before. Because all these are locked up in different monasteries, and these monks are from the central monastic establishment in the main city. I mean, they are familiar with some of the gods, but to them, they are all gods, so they have to pray to them.
0: You mention that these pieces are locked up. Yes. Where where are they locked up? Where, Where are they kept within Bhutan?
1: They come from, I would say, 30 or 40 different monasteries scattered all over Bhutan. And inside, because these are all very important objects, they're locked up either in cases or in metal storage cases. And once in a while, they show it to the people coming to the temple, but not all the time. For example, if you're a tourist going to Bhutan, first of all, you are not even allowed to go to these temples. And secondly, once you go in there, they won't even show these objects to you because there are enough pieces on the altar that you'll be seeing.
0: So why then were these particular pieces chosen to be part of this uh, international exhibit?
1: When the agreement was signed between the Ministry of Culture and Hawaii, I was the one given permission to look at all the photographs of every object in Bhutan. So I just chose them. I, I chose them for their quality and their uniqueness. And after we have chosen them, then we have to personally go to the temples to check them out, make sure they're in a the condition that can be traveled. So I just looked at them. I have no idea where they came from. And once I knew I was horrified because everyone is on top of a hill and physically, I can't go to these top, uh, these high mountains. So luckily, Hawaii chose me a very young assistant curator who who did all the legwork for me.
0: And this person went and brought back some of the items, or brought back photographs uh, from uh, which you made your selection.
1: Uh, John Johnston went up and brought them and shot photographs, and I I select again from the photographs that he shot.
0: Were you in Bhutan when? Um the final selections were made?
1: I was there every time. I was there to do the final selection. But then John Johnston stayed there like three-quarters of the year and because he has to personally visit all these temples. So once in a while I will come and then I will select more objects.
0: From what you're telling me, it sounds like Bhutan is not particularly accessible, and within Bhutan this artwork is not particularly accessible. Can you tell us how they were brought eventually to the international exhibits, and particularly uh, to San Francisco? The
1: artworks are definitely not accessible to be able to to have what we have in the exhibition, because some of the pieces I wanted, they did not. The, the government did not allow me to have them. For example, all the raffle protectors of Bhutan were kept back in Bhutan, because they feel that once once uh, the, the protectors leaves Bhutan, then who is going to protect Bhutan? And I understand that. So you know, I just choose something else. And. Taking them down to be conserved is another matter because it is a tiny mountain path and you have to walk. For example, the very large pieces, they were all carried on the back of the monks or the government servants who came who 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 were part of this project. They have to be personally carried down to the city to the city of Timpu. There we set up conservation workshop, one for sculptures and one for paintings. And every piece has been worked on and cleaned up.
0: When you say very large, can you give us an idea of how large they actually are?
1: I would say the largest one is about four feet high. And it's solid bronze. Can you imagine somebody carrying that on his back?
0: No, I can't.
1: <laughs> the these are very strong. Though. I think the longest distance John Johnston made was uh, eight hours walking up and down to one particular monastery.
0: Could you then describe what the objects are that we would be seeing on a visit to the San Francisco Asian Art Museum?
1: There are bronze sculptures that are gilded gold. There are wooden sculptures, just just two, just wood and bronze, I mean wood and metal. And then there are two types of paintings. One that is painted and the other that is applicate, meaning pieces of beautiful bro- brocades joined together to make a sacred image.
0: With the background that we have on the unique specialty of the Dragon's Gift, the Sacred Arts of Bhutan, on exhibit at the San Francisco Art Museum until May tenth, two 2009, Let's visit again with Henny Tanujaja and continue our tour of the exposition.
2: Now I'd like to show you some paintings just right there. They are tankas or hanging scroll paintings made of ink and mineral colors on cotton, and they depict Jataka tales the numerous, the previous numerous lives of the Buddha. We have Sakyamuni Buddha in the center in the preaching mudra or hand gesture. And we have five rows of stories, two stories in each row left and right. The Buddha-to-be accumulated countless merit to create the cause to reach enlightenment. In this particular life, he was a virtuous king who made his neighbor very jealous. He offered anyone who would bring him the head of the virtuous king, half of his kingdom and his princess. So an assassin volunteered for the task and went to the virtuous king to ask for his head. Without hesitation, he cut off his head and gave it to the assassin. And you see the act depicted here, sprouting blood coming out of the Buddha-to-be. It's just beautiful. It's, it's uh, rainbow uh, bloody. So each tale teaches a moral story. Now, let's look at more paintings on the other side. Our curators selected um, many different items, and wanted to borrow pr- protector images from Bhutan, but the Bhutanese officials said no. They said, "If you borrow our protector, who's going to protect us?" <laughs> but. They said yes to this one. So Therese Bartholomew, our curator, was very happy when she got this Thangka, it has a very important deity and also three main protectors of Bhutan. The raven head became a national symbol of Bhutan. It decorates the crowns of Bhutanese kings. Zaprung Ngawang Namgyal dreamed before he left Tibet of a raven flying south. So he knew to f- go to Bhutan and then the raven would protect him in Bhutan and that's how the raven head Mahakala became one of the protectors. Now, look at this beautiful image of Padmasambhava. A saint who introduced Buddhism to Bhutan in the 8th century. His name means lotus born. He's also lovingly called Guru Rinpoche, or precious teacher. The Bhutanese also call him the second Buddha. He's much, much loved over there. Padmasambhava holds a Katvanga, a trident with three heads of various stages of decay representing his victory over the three poisons of the mind desire anger and ignorance look at this vignette here Padmasambhava is teaching in the land of the demons the demons are supposed to be scary but I think over here they're cute <laughs> <laughs> Padmasambhava i like to show you one wrathful manifestation in a statue right in this case. Just turn around and look at the statue in the center. That's Padmasambhava as Guru Drakpo Marchen. Guru Drakpo Marchen holds a Dorje in his right hand and his left hand holds a scorpion. Our curator loved to tell a story about the scorpion. She said it almost gave her a heart attack. As all of the objects that needed to be carried down on the back of monks down the hill, this one was also carried down. And they finally reached their destination and they started unpacking. Therese realized the scorpion was missing. See panic. And they looked in the packaging material, they shook everything and they heard the sound of a, a clang of a metal. Luckily, it was the scorpion, so she gave it to the conservator. Mark, please put this back on. I don't care how, just do it. We need to keep these things intact. Please take a look at these two. They're both decorated with turquoise. I think they're just beautiful. The Buddha, sitting in the so-called European post, is the future Buddha Maitreya. This is Buddha Akshobhya, one of the five transcendental Buddhas who transform negative mind states into virtues. Do you notice that the color of his body is different than the rest of the statue? It's made of silver. The statue was black when the curator first saw it. In fact, They um, went to the temple to look at something else and they saw this black statue because it was covered in soot from centuries of worship. They didn't know what a jewel they had until the conservator cleaned it up and this is what we have now. I hope that you get a chance to watch some of the videos later. They are Cham dances, which are sacred dances, and Bhutanis learn about Buddhism and their country's history through watching the dances. Okay. In Vajrayana Buddhism, you may have a main teacher, and your main teacher may assign you to a personal deity or yidam as your main meditation practice. You then arise yourself or visualize as the deity. This is the idea of um, deity yoga and the union or yoga in Sanskrit of the mind of the practitioner and the mind of the deity is characterized by non-duality. It's a very complex subject, and I'm not going to touch it. And with this, I thank you so much for your attention and interest. You've been very kind. Thank you. Thank you. One day you'll go to Bhutan, one day I'll go to Bhutan, too. (laughs) Let's
0: now return to our conversation with Therese Bartholomew, the curator of The Dragon's Gift. The Sacred Arts of Bhutan. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Bhutan being in the Himalayas uh, puts it at a fairly high altitude. Yes. How high is that?
1: The cities are like eight to 10,000 feet. I have walked up to temples at 14,000 feet, and there are even higher ones. I think the importance of this show is that Even if you go to Bhutan as a tourist, you may not be able to see these objects again because it's not the policy to show any tourists coming into the temple their precious objects. So this is the one and only chance for us to see it.
0: Well, Teresa Bartholomew, Curator Emeritus of the Himalayan Arts and Chinese Decorative Arts at the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco, California. I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you if you can tell us about something you've learned recently, an aha moment or a particular idea.
1: It's mainly uh, I have not realized how beautiful the textiles are in the exhibition. I think what brought this up this recently, I have to give a paper on Ming Dynasty textiles in St. Louis Museum, and I started to look around in the Bhutanese exhibition, and found so many lovely examples. I mean, I marvel at that, that good taste in choosing the particular pieces.
0: And finally, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately?
1: One book I read lately is by Rato Chongla Ngawang Lopsang, a a monk. And this is called My Life and Life, the Story of a Tibetan Incarnation. Uh, What is wonderful about this book because it has been edited by Joseph Campbell, so it's really readable. And it is about a monk, how he was chosen to be a particular incarnation in Tibet and how he went to school to to Lhasa, to study. Because I deal with Tibetan Buddhism all the time, I, I like to know how, how the monks were chosen and what exactly they do when they enter a monastery. So this is a very fascinating book.
0: Well, Teresa Bartholomew, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Teresa Bartholomew is a curator emeritus of the Himalayan Arts at the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco, California, and the curator of the Dragon's Gift, The Sacred Arts of Bhutan. The book she recommends is My Life and Lives: The Story of a Tibetan Incarnation by Rato Chungla Nawang Losan. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California.